Amen. FCA, how are we doing? Everyone good? Hey, welcome back. Hope you had an awesome break, an awesome Christmas, a happy new year. So excited uh, to be back. Unapologetically, my heart is with this generation. Uh, I am a discipleship director here at Clemson New Spring, and I'm responsible for the formation of uh, spiritual formation of the adults at our campus, but my heart is with you, and so truly so uh, honored and excited to be here tonight. Um, I want you to know this message tonight is brand new, okay? I've never preached this before. I finished writing it this morning, so it could go really good or it could go really bad. We're going to figure it out. Uh, either way, God is, is going to move, and it's going to be uh, awesome. Tyler texted me uh, on the team. He texted me over break and said, hey, man, I know this is a little bit last minute, but I'd love for you to preach on the Thursday that we get back. And I thought to myself in that moment, uh, easy, I will preach a message that uh, I've preached before and I'll be good to go. And quickly, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, no, you're not going to do that. I want to give you something new uh, for uh, FCA on the 11th to kick off uh, a semester. And so truly, I hope tonight not only is helpful for you, uh, but more importantly, I hope you walk through those buildings at the end of the night more in love with the person of Jesus. That's my, my goal tonight. So if uh, you're taking notes, I'm going to jump in. The title of my message uh, is At the Feet of Jesus. At the Feet of Jesus. I was listening uh, to a sermon over the break, and uh, this was not what he was talking about, but he said this phrase, at the feet of Jesus, and my spirit just leapt. Like something inside of me uh, just started getting excited and I felt like the Holy Spirit was illuminating that this was something that my talk was supposed to be about uh, tonight. Um, and so, of course, I started doing research. I started studying the phrase at the feet of Jesus. I started doing uh, word searches. I started pulling out commentaries and my mind was blown at how many times the phrase at the feet of Jesus is used throughout the New Testament. Let me read just a couple of verses. Luke 17, these will not be on the screen. I just want to read a couple. Luke 17, uh, one man, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him. Revelation 1:17. when I saw him, this is John, he has a vision of Jesus. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as I were dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. Mark 5, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Mark 7, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at the feet of Jesus. Luke 8, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went, to, went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. Lastly, 1 Corinthians 15, for he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. I could go on and on. There are 18 references in the New Testament to the feet of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, at the feet of Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do, okay? I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'm going to give some context that I think will help set this message up. And then I'm going to give us five points about what happens at the feet of Jesus, pulled straight from the New Testament that I believe can happen for everyone in this room today. Is that cool? 
We good? Let's pray. Father, uh, we love you, and uh, I pray that tonight would be uh, fruitful. I pray that the word that comes out of my mouth would, um, would go into the soil bed of hearts and everyone in this room, and that something beautiful uh, would grow in the days to come. Help me to hide behind your cross uh, and with the beauty of Jesus be on display. We love you. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's two things as a college uh, pastor over the last eight years that has really uh, grieved me. It's really been, if I'm being honest, the saddest part of my job. Now, I don't mean to start off on a uh, sad note, but I think these two things are worth addressing and talking about because I don't want you to fall into one of these two camps. The first is this. I've seen dozens of students who leave the Christian bubble in Clemson when they graduate, move to another city, start a new job, start hanging out with friends who don't know Jesus. They stop prioritizing church. They stop prioritizing spiritual disciplines. And the next thing you know, the world has sucked them in like a vacuum and you don't even know if they're following Jesus anymore. And I'm not talking about like random people. I'm talking about people that were at FCA every week, people that were um, plugged into different churches every week, people that I've personally discipled and worshiped with that are no longer submitting their life to Jesus. Truly, it, it grieves uh, my heart. And when I say the bubble in Clemson, here's what I mean, okay? You know what you experience here is not normal, right? Do you know this? Like this is... Every week, I, I, me and, me and uh, a staff member counted this one time. There are in Clemson 41 either churches or college ministries in, in Clemson that you can be a part of. 41. Clemson's not very big, right? 41. Every week, you can hear amazing teaching, go to amazing worship, experience some type of gathering. You're around Christians. There are so many Christians in this area. You can be spiritually fed if you want to in, Crimps, in Clemson. Right, like this is a pretty good. Some of you, when you graduate, you're gonna to move to Dallas or you're gonna to move to Austin or you're gonna to move to Charlotte or to Greenville or to California or to New York. And I'm just gonna tell you, you're gonna be in culture shock because no one there loves Jesus. And you're not gonna have 41 different options for you to go get spiritually fed. And the thing that grieves me is when people get removed from this environment and they start following the world more than they follow Jesus. It happens all the time. Some of you have seen it in your own friends and family. The second thing is this, and it might be more relatable than the first. There's so many students I see who simply go through the motions in their relationship with Jesus. Most of us grew up in the religious South and Jesus has become boring to us. And instead of having a relationship with him that is described by love and intimacy and enjoyment and beholding who he is, it's mostly described by striving, religion, transaction, and knowledge of him over love for him and his people. And it grieves me because I don't want to see the grip of religion or cultural Christianity blind you to the beauty of Jesus. And listen, some of this doesn't apply to you. Some of you, you're like, I love Jesus, we're good. But some of you, can I just be candid? You're experiencing this right now. Or for some of you, you're going to graduate in a couple years or even this May, and you're going to be faced with this reality. So what's the antidote to this, 
right? You're like, cool, Glenn, thanks for the, um, uh, thanks for the bad information. This is not encouraging. Like, what, what's the solution? What's the antidote? How do I become a person uh, who doesn't let the world just suck me in like a vacuum? Or how do I become a person who doesn't just, in a couple of years, become just a cultural Christian and go through the motions in my walk with Jesus? Well, I believe the answer is what leapt in my spirit two weeks ago as I was preparing for this message. And it's my sermon in a sentence, you ready? Here it is. It's being someone who daily prioritizes being at the feet of Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. It is being someone who daily, daily prioritizes being at the feet of Jesus. And just for clarity, when I say being at his feet, all I mean is just creating intentional time and space every day to be in his presence. Right, creating intentional time and space to be in his presence. So let me show you five things pulled straight from the New Testament, okay, that happens at his feet. And then I'm gonna shut up and we'll continue worshiping. Is that cool? Five things that you can do and prioritize today. Number one, number one, listening, I think this will be on the screen, listening to his voice. Listening to his voice, Luke 10, 38 through 42 says this, this is a classic, you all know this story. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're upset and worried about many things. But few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Let me just say this at the top. I think Martha gets a bad rep. Okay, anytime I hear this message preached, everyone just kind of casts Martha to the side. But Jesus didn't say what Martha was doing was bad. He just said that what Mary was doing is better. So my question is, why is what Mary was doing better than what Martha was doing? Because of course it's not bad to serve Jesus, right? Sweet little Miss Martha is just uh, being a good host, right? She's baking the bread, she's fluffing pillows, she is uh, doing everything she can to serve Jesus because he's in their presence. But I think, I think that Jesus is addressing a heart posture with Martha, highlighting that she would rather be doing things for him and his approval than creating space to sit at his feet, listening to what he had to say. Which would you rather do? I think it's our default mode to choose Martha's way, right? To serve and to be zealous for God and to be a part of a bunch of different ministries and to sell it all for Jesus and to do a bunch of things for him. And listen, none of those things are bad. You should do those things. It's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But hear me, if they are removed from first prioritizing the enjoyment of the person of Jesus, and creating space to hear his voice, then Jesus is saying in this text, hey, you have got your order and priority wrong. Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said. A couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were at a wedding, and there was a moment where we were separated from each other, and I was around a couple uh, of my buddies from high school. There was a couple hundred people at this wedding, and in the midst of this wedding, I hear, Glenn, 
I hear my name being called Glenn, and immediately in that moment, I knew my wife is calling my name. How did I recognize her voice in the midst of hundreds of other people around me? Because you become familiar with someone's voice the more time you spend with them. You become familiar with someone's voice the more time you spend with them. I recognize her voice because I prioritize being with her every single day. I know her laugh. I know her tone when she is playful. I know her tone when she is serious. I know her tone when she's being firm with me. I know her tone when she's encouraging me and loving me. I know her voice. Can you say the same thing about your relationship with Jesus? Do you spend time with him to recognize his voice, his tone, his truth? Clarity is the fruit of intimacy. Clarity is the fruit of intimacy, and that is what God wants with you. Last thing I'll say, probably the number one question I get asked from young adults all the time is this, how do I hear God's voice? Has anyone else ever wondered this? How do I hear him? How do I discern what is his voice and my voice and my thoughts and his, how do I discern it? And that's another talk for another time, but I'll just tell you the foundation starts with sitting at the feet of your rabbi, prioritizing time to sit at his feet. What's wild about this story is Mary could only sit at Jesus' feet when he was physically in her presence. But Christian in the room, let me remind you of this new covenant promise that you now, have the, you, you now have the spirit of King Jesus living inside of you and you can sit at his feet 24-7 whenever you want. What an honor. What a privilege. Let's prioritize it. Number two, not only do we hear his voice, but I see in the New Testament at his feet there's worship and adoration. Worship and adoration. Matthew 28, 9, Jesus met his disciples and said, Greetings. This is after Jesus has resurrected and he sees his disciples for the first time. They came to him, they clasped his feet and worshiped him. John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And then Psalm 27.4. I know this isn't New Testament, but this is too good. This is David. He says, I'm asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long to contemplate his beauty and to study at his feet. My son, he started uh, to do this thing now, he's, he's a little over three, um, where he starts to butter me up to try to get things from me. The other day we were, I was sitting in the couch you know, watching TV and he crawled up in my lap and he said, uh, hey dad, I love you. And he started kissing my face. He said, you're the best dad. He said, you're amazing. He was like, you're so funny. And the first time he did this, I'm like, this is awesome. Tell me more, son. This is, this is amazing. He's like, you're so cool, dad. And then he had this little pause in his voice. And he goes, hey, dad, can I have a Reese's? And then the next day, I was sitting on the couch. He does the same thing. You're so cool, dad. You're amazing. Hey, dad, can I watch The Lion King? And so he's learned, he's three and a half, but he's already learned how to come to me to get things from me. 
And can I just tell you what I'm afraid of in the church, especially in the religious South? I'm afraid we've become bored with Jesus because we have turned him into our busboy to get things from him instead of the king of the universe who holds all beauty for us to be enamored with. Now hear me loud and clear, asking Jesus for things is good. He gave his life for you. Of course he wants to give you things, but the motivation in order is important. I ask out of the understanding and worship of his beauty and kindness towards me, not just so I can get things from him. My asking is my overflow of my adoration of him. Two verses that blow my mind from King David. Of course, he was a man that loved God's presence are, number one, Psalm 8410. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Think about this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Think about your, go there in your mind. What's your favorite place to go in the world? Favorite place. David says you can go there for a thousand days, a million days. It doesn't matter. And better is one day in his presence than a thousand there. Or Psalm 1611, it says, um, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your pleasures are right hand, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. John Piper says this, he says, knowing God is fullness of joy forever. Would you trade that infinite joy and pleasure for if infinite power, sex, and money. I'm gonna say that again. Knowing God is fullness of joy forever, would you trade his intimate joy, infinite joy and pleasure for intimate power, sex, and money? Think about that. That blows my mind. So, so name your price. You can have as much money as you want, as much as you want. Generational wealth. You can buy anything you want whenever you want. And David says, his presence and his pleasure is better than that. Think about sex. As much sex as you want with whoever you want. Maybe don't think about that, okay? But just for the illustration, okay? Just for the illustration, you can have it whenever you want with whoever you want, as much as you want. And David said, your pleasure and your presence is better than that. That got some of y'all, that was good. Think about, bring it back. Think about power and prestige. You can have as much as you want. You can be affirmed by anybody, right? You can have as much power as you want. And David said, your presence and your pleasures are better than that. And this is why we worship and adore him. Can I just go off script a little bit? I did this last year at FCA. Raise your hand um, if you have someone in your family uh, or, or friends that used to follow Jesus but is no longer following Jesus anymore. Just raise your hand. Y'all look around, look around. This is what I was saying earlier. This is what grieves me. I have people in my family, I have friends who I grew up in church with, who I worshiped with, who are not only no longer following Jesus, but they mock Jesus and act like the church is just a waste of time. And as a pastor, I'm asking myself, what has happened? Here's what I think has happened, okay? You may disagree, whatever, this is my thought. Here's what I think has happened. In the religious South, we have a lot of head knowledge of God and great theology of God and great zeal for God and we wanna to go to the mission field for God and do a bunch of things for him, but we have very little intimate experience with him. 
And it's because life happens, anxiety comes, suffering comes, hardship comes, temptation comes. And because people grew up just playing church and going through the, the religious motions, they go, man, this whole following Jesus thing isn't worth it. I'm out. And can I just be honest? There's so many times where I personally want to leave and just say, forget this whole following Jesus thing. I'm going for the world again. Am I, can I say that? Am I allowed? Is it, is it okay? Has anyone else ever been there? Because if you haven't, I'll just tell you that one day, if you haven't already, you're going to be confronted with the beauties of this world and your flesh is going to want to say the same thing. I'm out. But every time, can I just tell you, every time I feel the way of wanting to run to the world, I go back to the moments where I have sat at God's feet, experienced him face to face, and thought to myself, where else am I going to go? You're the most beautiful thing. You are my treasure, you are my prize. I've heard your voice, I've received your love. Where else will I go? It's like when Peter looked at Jesus and said, you have the words to eternal life. Where else will I go? I hope this becomes your posture as well. Let me, let me get back to John 12, okay? The story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with perfume. There's three things that are interesting to me about this story. Number one, the cost of the perfume that she's pouring on Jesus' feet. This perfume was rare. This perfume was um, uh, very, very expensive. Like even if she had poured out a little bit on his feet, people would have been like, what are you doing? The second thing is she let her hair down. Now, in this context, in this culture, a woman who let her hair down would have been um, uh, identified as a prostitute or someone who got around. And she says, I don't care, he's worth it. The third thing is this, the fact that she's anointing his feet. This is interesting because, again, context, culture, if a guest would come to someone's house in this time, it would be the lowest slave in the house who would be the one to wash their guest's feet. And I wrote this down. Mary did not care how much the perfume cost. She did not care about the perception of others when she let her hair down. She did not care that she would have looked like a slave. All she wanted to do was adore the most beautiful person in the room. I want to be a part of a generation of people who sit at his feet and adore him for who he is, not just what he can do for me. Which leads to number three. Not only do we hear his voice, not only do we see worship and adoration of him at his feet, but the third thing I see in the New Testament is ministry, getting ministered to, okay, ministry. Matthew 15, 30, and I'll explain what I mean. Matthew 15, 30 says this, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. Mark 5, 25 through 34 um, a woman, I'm not going to read all this, it's the woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And um, this lady came and, and touched Jesus and it said, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And she told him the whole truth. But Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And then John 11:32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus saw him, this is when Mary's brother Lazarus had died, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In all three of these stories, people got ministered to by Jesus. Another thing my son has started to do, um, sorry, I'm using my son example. Is Caleb Crick here tonight? 
Caleb, people are laughing because Caleb Crick, this is so off topic. Caleb, this is made me think of this. He made this Glenn Batson bingo pr- uh, preaching card, and one of the tiles said, uses his son as an example. This is funny. One of them said, slurps water twice, and that one always gets me. Anyways, if, you're, if you don't know, it's okay. Bring it back. Sorry. Chasing a squirrel. But one of the things my son has um, started to do um, is um, he wants me to um, notice everything that he does. And it's honestly really cute and I really appreciate it. But he's literally, he's like, hey, dad, uh, like, watch me jump on the bed. Hey, dad, watch me eat this marshmallow. Hey, dad, watch me give Rosie a kiss. Hey, dad, watch me go TT. Hey, dad, watch me put my socks on like over and over. It's like, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. And what I've realized, what he's doing in these moments is he wants me to affirm him. He wants, he wants affirmation for me. He wants me to tell him that I love him and that he's doing a good job and that I'm proud of him. And can I just ask you, where are you getting your affirmation from? Where do you look to to be ministered to? Like, if you need healing or you need encouragement or you need life spoken into you, when you need love or you need to be cared for, where do you go? I'll tell you, when I went, where I went when I was in Clemson, I went to the party scene. I went to, the base, I went to baseball. I went to social media. I went to just hooking up with people. Right? I went to, to things that always uh, over-promised but under-delivered. Every time, where do you go? In these three texts, you see three different things that happen at his feet. The physical healing power of Jesus, this woman's desperation to get to Jesus when all of her hope seems lost, and Mary's processing of negative emotion in a time of intense grieving. Why? Because they know he is their healer, comforter, and refuge. They know they can run to the one who can minister to them and who always delivers on his promises. Listen, this is important. Our pastor said this on Sunday. Pain that doesn't get transformed gets transferred. Pain that does not get transformed, it gets transferred. And what does it get transferred to? Other people, to spouses, to coworkers, to friends. It gets transferred on to other people. And so I want you to hear me at his feet is where pain is transformed above anything else. Yes, go to counselors. Yes, go to your good friends, yes, go to your church community, but at his feet is primary healing of the deep wounds in your life because he knows every little detail of what happened and he is the only one who knows how to fix it perfectly. What do you need healing from? Mental health, anxiety, depression, addiction? What emotions do you need to process? Insecurities, fears, doubts, anger, unforgiveness? What wounds need to be addressed? Abuse, trauma, God, hear me, God wants to minister to you. Not only by saying things like I said to my son, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're doing a good job, but also by addressing the most broken parts in your life in a way that no one else can. Let me give you a story to illustrate this. Um, uh, This summer, I was honestly just going through a hard time. There, I said it, okay, was going through a hard time. And financially, my wife and I are just struck city, okay? Uh, we had our second child, and that has just been whooping us. 
Uh, personally, I, I'm like wrestling through some things. I have this stomach issue that I've been trying to figure out for like over a year and I don't know what it is. And it's honestly like very annoying. I have some family things like with my inter- intermediate family that I'm, that I'm navigating, just like a lot of things. It wasn't in a great place. And um, Monday on a staff meeting in August, uh, we're with our staff. And one of the things my campus pastor said is, hey, let's take some time uh, to sit at God's feet uh, and, and, and listen to his voice and see if he has anything to say to us. We're going to spend some time, let him minister to us, see if he has anything to say. And so we take about 10, 15 minutes. We're all sitting there quietly. And immediately God gives me this picture. One of the ways God speaks to me is he gives me pictures of things. And, he, and, I, and I saw this picture of a guy climbing on a uh, rock climbing wall. And in this picture, the guy was like really struggling. He was sweating. You could tell it was very strenuous and he was struggling. And he gets to the, uh, but, but let me back up. But the rope, there was a rope that he was holding onto. And the rope was the thing that was keeping him safe and getting him up the wall. And he gets to the top of this wall and he rings this bell and he turns around and there's this big smile on his face. This is like the picture or vision that I feel like God gave me. And the thing I felt like he was highlighting to me was uh, rock climbing, this wall, this hard, strenuous rock climbing wall you're going through. This is how ministry is, vocational ministry. It's hard, it's strenuous. And I felt like God was saying the rope is, represents the Holy Spirit. He's your safety. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to keep you safe. And when you ring the bell and you turn around and you smile, it's going to be a reminder that it's all worth it. And it's going to be hard, but you're going to make it and it's all worth it. And so I shared this with our staff and everyone was like, oh, that's great. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Well, we get done with our staff meeting and Jen Black, who's, who's here tonight, she calls me to the side and she, she just walks by like she always does. She was like, hey, that was for you, nobody else. And just kind of walked off. She was like, that was for you. And I remember thinking, okay, whatever, you know, we'll see. And anyways, that was on a Monday morning. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. On Wednesday night, I'm watching the Philadelphia Phillies game, okay? Why was I watching this game? My roommate in college was making his major league debut for the Phillies. And on his first at bat, uh, he hit a home run. First ever major league bat, he hit a home run. And I wish in this moment I could have told you that I was super excited for him and I was just radiating with joy. But actually, I was pretty frustrated and was very jealous. And honestly, I threw a terrible hissy fit and I went in a tizzy, okay? And I was like, God, I'm already in a bad place. My other roommate's in the big leagues. He plays with the Braves. I was like, now my other roommate's in the big leagues making millions of dollars. I'm working in Clemson, South Carolina, making no money. I don't know if anyone cares about what I do, right? I'm just like in this bad headspace. I'm like, I'm I'm frustrated. Does anything that I do matter? Am I making any type of impact? My family feels like we're poor. My kids eat beanie weenies every night. Like we're just struggling, okay? That's dramatic, it's not true. But I was just not in a good headspace. Just, I was just, it was one of those times where I was like, I'm not, I'm not in a good headspace. Well, that next morning, I'm preaching at the Hills Retreat. Shout out to the Hills Retreat. It's amazing. And I gotta be honest, I didn't wanna be there, okay? Like, I just, I just didn't. I was, again, I, again, I was not happy. I was frustrated. I was like, God, it was, I was preaching in the morning. I don't like preaching in the morning. I prefer preaching at night. I was like, I don't really want to be here. Well, I walk in, true story. I walk in, and it's similar. There's like an auditorium, and outside the auditorium, there's like an atrium space just like this. I walk into the atrium space 
open the door and I look up and on the wall is this rock climbing wall with a rope hanging down from the ceiling. And in this moment, I felt the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, that picture was for you. And you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I am with you. And I am keeping you safe. And yeah, this journey is gonna be hard, but I'm with you. And you're gonna make it to the top and it's gonna be worth it. And what happened in that moment is God ministered to me. He ministered to me on Monday, and then he ministered to me on Thursday morning. He spoke to me, he encouraged me, and I can't tell you how many times I think back to that picture that God gave me. Yesterday I did, I had a hard day yesterday. But you know what I did? I thought to myself, no, 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 God told me it's gonna be hard, but his Holy Spirit is with me, and I'm gonna make it, and everything's gonna be okay. He ministered to me, and I wanna tell you tonight that God wants to minister to you Sit at his feet, he wants to do the same thing. Number four, I gotta keep going. Not only do we hear his voice, not only is there worship and adoration, not only does he wanna to minister to you, but the fourth thing is this, submission. Submission. Ephesians one says this, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I want to address the Christian in the room when I talk about this point, okay? Because what this verse is saying is that uh, if you continue to read in Ephesians 2, it talks about how we were uh, dead in our sin and how God has made us alive in Christ. And it says, Jesus is the head of the church and we are called to submit to his authority. We are his church and we are called to submit to him. I read a Desiring God article that said this, you see, submission is at the very heart of Christianity because if it weren't for Christ's submission to death, we would not know salvation. Like Christ, once we submit and die to ourselves, we are resurrected to new life in him. And once we are saved by grace through faith, we must continually submit ourselves to God. And I just wanna ask you, Christian in the room, what is the sin in your life you're struggling to submit to him? You've been, a made, you've been made alive with Christ, but there's that one thing that keeps holding you back we all got something. What is it for you? Is it bitterness? Is it pride? Is it greed? Is it jealousy? Is it lust? Is it anger? What is it for you? This is the thing he wants you to bring to his feet. And be honest because he already knows. And I just want to say, when I'm done and we start worshiping again, I want you to submit this thing to Jesus process it with him, get on your face and submit it to him. Tell him in your heart tonight, God, I'm sorry I yield this to you. Psalm 51, David has um, killed a man and he slept with his wife. And he writes Psalm 51 and he says, God, you don't des desire in, in offerings, you desire in a contrite heart. What he's saying is, God, you delight in brokenness over my sin. And I just wanna encourage you, that is, that is what God wants from you, is a broken, contrite heart over your sin with a willingness to submit it to him. And I, I think submission has a negative connotation to it, uh, but it's a beautiful thing and a sign of maturity because it's simply proof that you trust God. I want you to know on the other side of submission is freedom. Freedom is not independence to do what you want, it is actually submission to the master, a master who has your best 
interests at heart. I say this all the time. Every do and don't in the Bible is for your joy. The word for submit in Hebrew, it means to completely surrender as on a battlefield. And I think this is perfect for your world in 2024 because there is a battle going on for your mind, for your heart, for your purity, for your mental health, for your flesh, et cetera, et cetera. There's a battle. But what if you got on your face every day and said, God, I submit blank to you. I don't understand it. The temptation is strong, but I'm yielding control to the one who knows what is best for me and who promises joy and life on the other side. Fifth thing is this. I'm over time. I'll go quick. Forgiveness. There's forgiveness at his feet. Luke 7, 36 through 50. This is a beautiful story. I'll end with this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. This is very similar to the story we read earlier, but they're actually different stories. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured, poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus, Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two, money owed mon two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned the, toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. Her great love has been shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to speak to the non-believer in the room real quick. So in this story, you have a religious leader and then you have a prostitute who's weeping at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the prostitute and says, it's actually her sins that are forgiven. Why? Why is the prostitute's sins forgiven and not the religious leader? It's because Jesus is not drawn to those who have it all buttoned up and who don't think that they need him. He is actually drawn to the one who recognizes their brokenness and, and yields to him at his feet. Jesus says two things in this text that I want to highlight that are on offer for everyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus. He says, your faith has healed you and to go in peace. Your faith has healed you and go in peace. Let's talk about faith, okay? This is all Jesus requires. This is what the gospel requires. Your faith in him. He doesn't need you to clean yourself up. He doesn't need you to figure it all out. He doesn't need you to have all the right answers. He doesn't need anything from you except for you to put your faith in the savior of the world who paid your 
debt. And then he says, peace, go in peace. This is the promise of the gospel. If you put your faith in him for dying on the cross for you, he promises reconciliation to God and peace forever. You do not have to live uh, in slavery to sin. You don't have to live eternally separated from God. You can live your life in peace with the joy of being able to sit at his feet daily. There's forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. I'll end with this. Can I just challenge you to be a disciple that daily prioritizes sitting at his feet? To start this semester, it's a, it's a clean slate. Let's start this semester. What if you did this in your dorm for 20 minutes every day? Just played some worship music, read a chapter of your Bible a day. Nothing crazy, very simple. Because if you do, not only do I believe you will be in love with Jesus for the next 60 years of your life, but you will know his voice more. You will adore the beauty of his presence. You will be ministered to when you need it most and you will experience more joy on the other side of submitting your brokenness to him. Let's pray. God, thank you that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And God, I just pray that um, you would teach all of us what it looks like to sit at your feet to be ministered to, to hear your voice, to repent, to submit, to receive forgiveness. Thank you that you're a kind king. Thank you that you invite us to sit with you. Thank you that uh, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become righteous. And God, I pray that uh, in the next 20 minutes that you would minister to everyone in this room and that even now we would submit to you and sit at your feet Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to prioritize time in your presence. We love you. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name.